This is the Life Truth Network. Quest for Our Truth, Episode 318. Quest for Truth, presented by Protectorate Productions and HPN, Heltsley Podcast Network. Now located at life-truth.com. And now, here is your host, Keith Heltsley. With voices that will make you want to sterilize your earbuds. All right, here we go. Welcome, everyone, to Quest for Truth. This is your host, Keith, and I am alone here in Church House Studio. Well, maybe except for some background noise from kids, but hopefully that won't pick up. And um, I just have a short episode this week. It's just going to be a a half step late, it looks like. It's a a salute to Mother's Day. And... uh, but I'll be joined in a little bit by the voices of our co-host, Nathan Caldwell. And also, I thought I would dig into some extra commentary by uh, Jay Vernon McGee on a couple of the scripture references that are mentioned. Uh, I kind of explained where all this came from uh, in my pre-recorded content that you'll hear in a moment. Uh, basically, an article from a magazine. Uh, so hopefully uh, folks will enjoy this and hopefully you all had a good Brother's Day and uh, oh, stay tuned we should be having a uh, crude exposed in the works coming up soon so hey let's uh, listen to a message from the Christian Podcast Community at christianpodcastcommunity.org and then we will get started Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Hannah Oliver, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Faulkner. Esther and I are both particular Baptists who hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast is an informal podcast for women with intelligent and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. Esther and I both have a passion to see unbelievers come to the faith, and so we hope our material will be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. You can email us at thebluestockingbaptist at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at the Blue Stocking Baptist or on Twitter at SheBaptists. Thank you so much, and God bless, guys. Hello, and welcome to the In Awe and Wonder podcast. In Awe Wonder podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. The voicemail, the Google voicemail number set up where you can call and leave a message, 724-237-5319. My purpose statement, it really comes down to seeing the need and wanting to help. Standing in the gap, so to speak, by helping women to grow in biblical literacy, discernment, discipleship, Christian living, and in awe and wonder of God. From there, my prayer would be that women growing in these areas would do something to share the gospel and to help grow other women disciples locally in their communities and churches and in the world. Thanks for listening. So you can like, subscribe, and share. The blog page is www.kristen-hamilton.com. You can follow the Facebook page called In Awe and Wonder podcast slash blog. And you can do a search for the private Facebook group, 
that is simply called In Awe and Wonder. You can follow me on Twitter at Kristen Hanny. Have a great day and keep reading your Bible. Main Topic Okay, this is taken from an article called Mothers in the First Century, written by Sharon H. Gritz, G-R-I-T-Z. Uh, I found this article in a biblical illustrator magazine dated uh, winter of 2014. And I was just going to start writing my own notes on this when I came across this article. And it pretty much was going in the same direction that I was in my notes. So I thought probably reinvent the wheel. I mean, I'll try to read this as accurately as possible. I may paraphrase parts of it, and I'll probably interject some comments of my own, for example. In the first paragraph, it starts out saying, Motherhood represented an important role in first century Jewish women. This responsibility began for many as early as age 16, if not younger. And from what I've read on the topic is that uh, Jewish girls could be betrothed as early as age 12. But what that meant is they, any betrothal would go through about a year of being engaged, so they wouldn't actually get married until they were 13, which, of course, is the age of the Bar Mitzvah or Beth Mitzvah, the children of the covenant. You officially became an adult at that age. So it's not like people were robbing the cradle as we would know it today. Uh, and of course, if you got married at uh, age 13 uh, on or the day after your Beth Mitzvah, uh, you probably wouldn't have a child until 14. So this is the earliest ages you're looking at. But commonly, I, I would say probably 16, if not 18. Uh, moving back into the article... Uh, motherhood in the first century, of course, meant bearing a child, meant the continuity of the family name, fulfilling a vital function uh, and, a, and stability uh, of the family and Jewish people uh, or as a nation. And so, therefore, Jews valued mothers as a blessing and children were a reward from the Lord. And we can find that, for example, in Psalms 127, verse uh, 3 through 5. Listen to him. Lo, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And there's his wife and children, and they are there, all of them, to thank God. And verse 4, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of one youth. Happy is the man who hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. They'll defend him. It's wonderful to have a child that'll defend you. And to have quite a little army of them is quite wonderful. The psalmist who wrote this knew nothing about the population explosion at all. But the law commanded the children to equally obey mothers as well as fathers. So it just demonstrates the equal importance of their authority. Uh, for example, Leviticus 19.3.
Now notice what he says in verse 3. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Now, remember, we're getting right down to the nitty-gritty here today. Where do you begin? Well, you begin in the home. And it's not strange when we consider that the parent at the beginning stood in the place of God for the child. The child looked to the parent. The child was helpless. And the child would take anything that the parent would give them. He says, you shall fear every man his mother and his father. That's where you begin, right in the home. And then he says, and keep my Sabbaths. Now, did you notice that it compared honoring your mother and father as uh, keeping the Sabbath as sacred of a event as that would have been in Jewish society? Keeping the Sabbath, uh, is honoring your, your father and mother your, uh, is just as sacred as that. Um, motherhood was to be desired. Uh, it had significance and honor. <clears throat> Wives wanted to become mothers, and they regarded barrenness as being shameful and embarrassing. Uh, several women in the Bible, we find, demonstrated this. Let me read chapter 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. You see, a woman in that day was disgraced unless she did have offspring. And the more, well, the more she had, maybe not the merrier, but the more the better it was for her. That is... Her position. This is found uh, in Genesis uh, uh, 30, chapter 30, verse 1. Uh, Hannah wept and prayed in anguish and sorrow, asking that the Lord would take away her affliction and give her a son. Uh, this is found in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. So we start about verse 10 and going forward. Uh, I'll just read verse 10 from the ESV here. Uh, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Wow. So just that one verse kind of says it all, but find the passage and read through it. And we have the story of Hannah. And it says in First uh, Samuel's where we're at, Another woman that made a huge sacrifice. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And sure enough, um, she prayed to the Lord. Actually, let's go to verse 10 of chapter 1. It says, She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him... Unto the Lord, 
all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Now let's skip to verse 20. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. And then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. That's a sacrifice. If you will give me a son, you can have him back. Uh, in the New Testament era, we find uh, Elizabeth, uh, the relative of Mary, who became pregnant and exclaimed, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. This is found in Luke 1, uh, verse 25. And, and that was, by the way, probably from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Because this is uh, directly in the article. And they do quote that as their source of where they get the scripture from. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And this is something quite interesting. Here is this man, Zacharias, he can't talk. And Elizabeth, she's gone off with him to hide herself because this is something that's quite unusual. And don't you imagine she talked his right arm off during that period and said, isn't it wonderful, Zacharias, we're going to have a son. And then when her son John was born, Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives uh, gathered around the show uh, to celebrate that God has shown a great mercy in, on her and rejoice with her. And this is in verse uh, 58, later in the same chapter. Now, it, as far as the ancient world goes, it appears that shame and childlessness was probably stronger in the Jewish community because in the Greco-Roman world, it did not criticize women who did not bear children. Uh, in fact, what I know about it is the Greco-Roman society didn't have a problem with uh, abandoning. They didn't really have abortions, per se, but they were just abandoned. Newborn baby, throw them on a trash heap, literally. Uh, and Jewish society actually took in a lot of those uh, abandoned babies to so they wouldn't die. Um, now, as far as giving birth and infant care in those early days... Uh, most women gave birth at home with the help of a midwife. Uh, the woman may have had uh, other female relatives. Uh, even though they didn't have any medical help, these family figures would provide emotional support. Now, Luke didn't make any mention of whether Joseph helped Mary. Uh, he records no hint that anybody was present whenever Mary had her child. Uh, being far from home, she 
very well could have given birth without the assistance of a midwife or any uh, local friends or family support. The husbands, of course, uh, did not really assist their wives in the, the childbirth process uh, in the ancient world. Uh, now, uh, the childbirth process in that those early times would have been risky. There wasn't uh, a lot medically known about uh, the process. Uh, sometimes what they knew was just vague or plain old wrong, which meant a lot of infant mortality existed. Uh, and uh, a high percentage of infants did not survive their first year. Uh, mothers would also uh, sometimes die giving childbirth. Uh, so... There was a lot of risk back then, and it wasn't limited to only the poor. It occurred to all levels of socioeconomic uh, strata. Uh, one thing uh, is immediately after the birth, the female assistant or the mother, mother maybe Mary's case, would wash the baby and rub salt on its skin. Now we see this, an example of this in Ezekiel uh, 16, verse 4. Let me read this from the ESV. Now, this kind of takes an antithetical approach to this because, well, just listen. Uh, As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloth. So what Ezekiel is saying is there was no one there to take care of the, of the newborn nation Israel, uh, metaphorically speaking. Uh, now the purpose of the salt is unclear. Both boys and girls did receive this treatment when they were born. Uh, but after this, uh, well, before I go on, let me just say my own personal thought on rubbing salt is that what I'm thinking of is like you have bath salts uh, or like say Epsom salts. It probably wasn't like, you know, seasoning salt. It probably was some sort of an astringent on the skin to help, you know, cleanse and uh, keep things uh, kind of purified. But that's just my own thought. And I'm not a medical person, so it's just a wild guess. <laughs> After this, babies were... Uh, swaddled in a score of cloth that was tied with strips or bands of cloth. And this author says the made the baby look like a mummy. And I would say, well, people still, still do this today. You take a big square of, you know, baby blanket and you wrap the baby up like a little you know, egg roll or burrito or something. And it actually is healthy to do that because it keeps the baby all snug and tightly wrapped as it was in the womb, but it gives it a chance to exercise and push and kick against that and strengthen its limbs. Uh, so it's, it is really, very healthy. And it's not something unique exactly to then either. Uh, but you would swaddle the infant for several months, and people, again, they still do that today. You swaddle your infant net blanket for the first few months, 
they eventually will grow out of it and won't need that so much anymore. Uh, it uh, It's just part of uh, the midwife's care. And again, this article mentions that Mary would have likely had none of the customary uh, support uh, when she gave birth far from home. Now, what I would say is um, it, it's the, it, it may have been that she did have family there because it doesn't say that they arrived in Bethlehem and out popped a baby. It says while they were visiting Bethlehem. Or, and why were they there? They were there to go be taxed. So during their visit, it didn't say that it was the first day, as I recall. Uh, it could have been sometime. And certainly, uh, Joseph, being from the area, would have had family there. And, of course, possibly Mary, because, remember, Rald of Elizabeth wasn't far away. So it's not that she was definitely alone. But the author of this article seems to paint that picture, and uh, it's definitely one way to think of it. The article goes on to say that mothers breastfed their infants for two to three years. Uh, Jewish women required women to do this for at least 24 months. Uh, and I would say, you know, if you... Uh, in even modern times, they have La Leche League, which is a organization that encourages mothers to breastfeed. And they even today will recommend uh, that uh, mothers uh, breastfeed for as, as long as three years, because that seems to be the most benefit uh, to get from that. Um, now... The, besides uh, all this childbirth and uh, things, if you think about it, uh, there are certain rituals and practices uh, that come along with childbirth, and including naming the infant. I wrote an article on my personal blog some time ago uh, along this line. That this is one uh, authority, one right and privilege that a parent has. Uh, is that you have the the right to name your child. <laughs> you give it the name that it's going to be labeled with for life. Uh, fathers or mothers, either one, uh, in Jewish culture could name their child. Uh, so often it was a family name. Sometimes it was a special name that was meaningful or something. Um, and if you look at the instance of John the Baptist, he, uh, in Luke 1, 59 to 60. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so but he shall be called John. And the reason they called him Zacharias was because of the fact his father's name was Zacharias. He'd be junior, I guess. But that was not the name he was to be given. And immediately, while Elizabeth said, we're going to call him John. 
Now, uh, as devout parents uh, following the law, they would present their firstborn sons, well, actually firstborn child to the Lord. Uh, and uh, whether it was a male or female child, they, they had a, a purification ritual that they would go through. Um, and in early child years, both boys and girls were tended by women in their infancy. Uh, the Hebrew father was far more involved than it was common in uh, Greco-Roman society. Uh, but it, as far as educating the children, uh, up until age five to seven, uh, moms had charge of the kids. Then uh, the boys would go off and the father would become the main educator while the girls would remain with the mom. And while the girls learned domestic chores and skills, uh, the boys were to learn a, a trade, probably their father's own trade, uh, possibly uh, whatever... Uh, education that they were inclined to or or whatever um, but regardless uh whether they were boys with their fathers or girls staying with their mothers they still learned all the ancient stories and customs and scriptures uh throughout their their course of their day um, we find this, for example, in the book of Proverbs, where it refers to a mother's instruction. It says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching, Proverbs 1.8. But it says this also in other places. Uh, I'm thinking like, uh, it says 6.20, but I'm not sure if that's the correct reference. Uh but the point is, again, the mother was just as authoritative uh, in that culture as the father. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that one was higher than the other. When it came to the children, they were both equal in authority. Um, in the New Testament era, we find uh, the Apostle Paul in acknowledging the influence of uh, his grandmother, wait, which one is which, <laughs> Mother Eunice and Grandmother Lois in his life. First uh, Timothy 1, 5, I think it is. Or 2 Timothy 1, 5. I, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So you can see, uh, you know, definitely mothers played a, a, a significant part. Well, you know, whatever the mother's faith was, that got pressed onto the kids, definitely. Uh, now, it should also be done about the fathers, but definitely the mothers. Uh, while the son was still young. The father assumed responsibility for his education by teaching him a trade, usually his own vocation, such as carpentry, medical working, fishing. Uh, for instance, James and John were fishermen with their father, Zebedee. Uh, Mark 16, 1-20. Fathers also taught their sons religious laws and life duties. 
mothers continued their training of their daughters by instructing them in all the domestic skills expected of women. Additionally, girls had to learn the laws and regulations concerning purity regulations and more. Um, their activities oh, their activities demanded time-consuming manual chores. The woman's tasks included cooking, cleaning, uh, but beyond this, she had to perform those duties related to her husband. Uh-oh. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it included washing husband's face, hands, and feet. Uh, so, wow. Uh, women had a lot to do. Uh, I have more to say on that in a moment. Uh, women could delegate many of their domestic chores to their uh, servants or domestic help if they had them. Uh, food preparation consumed a lot of the mother's day. She had to sift grain to remove impurities uh, and then grind the grain into flour to bake bread. Preparing food also included gardening, butchering. Uh, the mother is the one who often uh, milked a family goat. Some also worked in the field. Some made trips to local market for food and supplies. Although some uh, scholars suggest that only men performed those chores because uh, the society didn't expect women to visit a public area where men weren't present. Uh, so, the, you know, the interfacing with strangers, basically. Uh, mothers were responsible for sewing and keeping clean to family clothing. This included spinning the thread, weaving the fabric, sewing, mending, washing. Uh, women made the trip to the local well many times a day, it says, uh, especially in morning and evening to secure fresh water to meet the family daily needs. Women also kept the small lamps in the house burning by filling them with oil. Mothers and young daughters also gathered small twigs uh, to provide fuel for firing clay ovens. Uh, they kept their homes clean, often by assigning sweeping chores to a young daughter. Uh, so you can see that mothers were important in Jewish families in the New Testament era. They strengthened their families and communities by the work they communicated and the influence they had, especially in their children. Now, this is where the article ends. <laughs> it, uh, I, I'm kind of chuckling here because in our modern uh, society where we have uh, you know, all that manner of technology and convenience saving devices and uh, women can uh, have their own careers and work uh, you forget that some of these things this list of chores, the duties that the women did uh, they, they had to gather their own you know, sticks, their own kindling wood to keep their fires going they 
they lit the lamps, they chopped the wood, they milked the goats, they made the clothes, they kept the gardens. This sounds like a lot, right? Well, uh, tell you what, my my own grandmother, who was born in, in I think 1912, so she would have grown up between 19 say teens to 1930s that era, living on a farm, uh, didn't have electricity, uh, didn't have indoor plumbing. Uh, when talking with her in my growing up years, her life was not very far different. Uh, she would tell me how she had to chop the kindling wood to keep the stove going so she could cook on it. And they had to go out and, they, well, they would gather water from a well that they had right there on their property. Uh, but she had to do that, of course, uh, in the morning so she can get uh, the cooking going. Uh, but uh, as needed throughout the course of the day, they might have to make an extra trip. But generally, you could gather enough in the morning. It should last you pretty much all day. Uh, and they would, she would have to do these things. And she, she would tell me that sometimes she would help in the field, but she considered that early to be the realm of you know, the man's work. But she would if there was a need for her to go out there. Uh, and so, and this is only a, a hundred years ago time frame we're talking about. So women uh, and moms had uh, a lot on their plate. Uh, in domestic life, as it were, uh, that uh, they weren't just uh, pampered sitting around at home in air conditioning watching the soap operas all day. They were out there, and they contributed a lot. And could a woman have a career and go off and work? Oh, yeah. I'm sure that there were some that did. But there's a lot of support on to keep the home fires burning, as the old saying goes, that if the mom wasn't going to do it, then who would? Uh, who would teach the kids how to do that if you expected that? Uh, so uh, it's it's definitely a very valuable, important, and probably not nearly as appreciated uh, job as uh, people make it out to be. And uh, even in today's market where uh, women do have more the, the luxury of more time they don't have to be tied to spinning their own uh, thread wow uh, there's still a lot that goes unnoticed and unappreciated and so this is why i wanted to gather some notes on the biblical look of what being a mom Means and even though this article focuses on first century, it wasn't all that long ago that women were still doing many, if not all, of the same things that this little snapshot presented. The Schoolhouse Rocked Podcast with Yvette Hampton and Abby Ranella. The podcast for homeschool families, biblical encouragement from home education experts and parents just like you. Hosted by Yvette Hampton and Abby Ranella. You can check out their website through the Christian Podcast Community.org shows page, or if you want to visit them directly, 
you can visit schoolhouserocked.com. That's spelled S-C-H-O-O-L-H-O-U-S-E-R-O-C-K-E-D.com. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity. And they provide speakers and seminars that come to your church with expertise in theology, hermeneutics, world religions, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, church history, and expertise in sexual abuse in the church. For details on their seminars and to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Striving to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. Okay, and there we go. That was uh, the idea there with Mother's Day. And as you can see, uh, some of the uh, life skills, domestic skills that they had back then, uh, are still happened uh, recently within the last century or so. It's, only, it's been when it's really changed dramatically. So, but still... Um, I guess the point there is that uh, uh, mothers still deserve a lot of uh, attention and respect and an honor for the things that they do. So, with that said, I am out of here. And, oh, I want to say thanks uh, again for the, the folks at the Christian Podcast Community. Check them out. Visit their show's page and just browse. There's a lot of good content there. Uh, so this is your host, Keith, signing off. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Visit life-truth.com, where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash page. Follow us on Twitter at capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May the word of Christ dwell on you richly. May you find everything you need. If you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a Savior. Thanks for listening.